Well, has the Bible ever felt like it's had a mental lock on it for you? Almost as if it has a physical lock, like a lock that you cannot open, but maybe you can physically open, but when you see the words on the page, it feels like it is barred from you. That ever happened to you? Like you're looking around and other people are saying, oh, this thing is so beautiful. I have this great Bible verse that I'm posting on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I, I'm not getting those verses. How are you getting those verses? Like sometimes I think the Bible feels so inaccessible to us and it feels like other people have a skeleton key that accesses it that I don't have. Do you all feel that way? I mean, this, I think our life hinges on whether we have the right key or not. Have you ever been locked out of your car? Anyone? Anyone, Who here has been locked out of their car? That is an annoying, 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 frustrating time to be in. Some of y'all may have this morning, right? You, You look at your car and you're like, I can see through the window. I can see where I should be sitting, but I cannot get there. And it makes you so angry. Have anyone tried to punch through the glass and realize those glass, that glass is a lot harder than you think? <laughs> no, people are smarter than me. <laughs> good, good, me neither. Uh, <laughs> but there, it's frustrating. It, it can also be really scary if you don't have keys to your house. You've been locked out of your house. Anyone? That can be even more frightening. I, I know some people who've broken the window to get into the house because at that point, you're like, I, I must get in here. And there's no way around it, unless you call a locksmith. (laughs) But I'm not doing that. About a year ago, um, a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Tran, gifted us a, it seemed like, a hundred Nerf guns. Um, And so we we had so many Nerf guns that were, were, were given to us, and me and my boys loved it. We played with it forever and ever and ever. But there was so much, we didn't know where to put them all. There was hundreds and hundreds of darts and balls, and you're like, what do you do with this? And so we bought a outdoor little shed that we, we stored it in along with some other toys and things like that. So we have a little toy shed that we put it in and we said, well, look, we don't want it to get stolen because it's outside. We'll put a lock on it. Good. Great. Honey, you have the key, right? I thought you had the key. No, no I thought you had the key. A year later, <laughs> we had still not been able to access these Nerf guns that have just been sitting in our toy shed. And it's just so frustrating. You're like, you're like our kids are like, what are we going to do? And you're like, guess, guess we'll never see those again. I could, this, this, they'll be here. For, this will be a monument to this house. They'll just be in a toy shed that no one can access. And literally, we've not done anything about it for a whole year. And then yesterday, we were cleaning our room and in my bedside side door, door um, find this key and <laughs> oh that looks really familiar so we now have access to it we can have a nerf war you're, you're all invited um, <laughs> um, but this shows the power of keys and shows the power of that keys have to give you access and to not have access and my wife likes to make fun of me and say man your your keychain is getting a little be a little absurd she's like you're basically a janitor uh, with your keys here and I, <laughs> I don't see that as a insult because if I'm in a tight spot, I want the janitor, right? Like, I'm like, hmm, he knows how to get places. The janitors are great. So, what are you thoughts? It's not an insult. The key, especially in this moment here, you would have rather me be a janitor and have access to this toy shed had you, you know, 
embrace this. So now the key's on my keychain. I got it. But the keys give us this access. They have unlimited power in that way. Because if you don't, you don't have access. You're locked out. And so keys lock and unlock. And that's where the, the title of my sermon here today is, is the key to unlocking the Bible, making sense of it all. The key to unlocking the Bible, making sense of it all. And what I want to give to you is this key so that you can open it and feel confident in what you are reading here. And so the way we're going to talk about this is in three words, three simple words, abolish, fulfill, and unlock. And sadly, this uh, program that goes on the screens, I couldn't do the strike through thing. So it sounds like we're arguing you should abolish the law, but we're not. <laughs> so it's don't abolish, fulfill, and unlock. But this is the path we're going. And so don't abolish is the first point here. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, we are jumping, we've been in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. It is one sermon that Jesus preaches. Um, it's one sermon that we are taking basically a whole year on. Um, and we think that's justified because Jesus' words are a little more potent uh, and more filled with, with meaning there. And so we're trying to spread it out. And he just finished the intro to his sermon. Um, even though we've been in it for a little while now. Jesus just finished the intro, the Beatitudes. He then said, you are the salt and the light of the earth. And then now he comes to this verse, and it feels like a big pivot happens in the sermon. Something changes in the direction of where Jesus is going in the sermon here. And that happens in verse 17, which we read earlier. Verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, I think this is kind of funny. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. Because I know what you're thinking. It's going to sound like I'm abolishing the law and the prophets. But don't think that. Don't, don't, don't think that. Um, it, it, it's almost as if I were to tell you, don't think about a pink elephant. I, whatever you do, the very last thing you should do is think about pink elephants. And your mind just naturally can't stop thinking about pink elephants. And so Jesus is saying, do not think I've come to abolish the law of prophets. Probably because there were accusations that Jesus was abolishing the law and the prophets. Yes? And so this is where Jesus is now refuting the accusations given to him. And he says very clearly, I, I, I have not come to abolish them at all. And in fact, even more specifically in verse 18, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Or in the King James Version, he says, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And there's this, this image up here. It shows you what a jot or a tittle is. The jot was the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the yod. And the tittle was the smallest stroke there on the right here, the smallest stroke on a letter. And it can change what that letter is. It can change the way you pronunciate it. It can change what that letter is, which also can change what the word is, which can change what the meaning of the passage is. And Jesus is saying, don't, I have not come to abolish anything, even down to the smallest detail, the smallest stroke in the Hebrew Bible. I'm not abolishing any of it. And so what this reveals to us is that Jesus has an insanely high view of the Old Testament. Like an insanely high view of the Old Testament, insanely high view of the, of the Bible. And I think it's a really important thing for us to, to hear about because in our day today, I think a lot of us might be questioning like, does Jesus, like, what does Jesus have to do with the Old Testament? It almost feels like they're two different people, like two different gods. Do you ever feel like that? 
Like that Jesus, like the Old Testament God feels like an old, angry, grumpy grandpa. Um, you're like, oh gosh, stop talking. <laughs> and then the New Testament God feels like a younger, uh, you know, loving, gracious, merciful God. And you're like, I, I like that God. I'm going sp- to stick with that God. Well, you're not the only one. And it's not just a modern interpretation of the differences, what appears to be differences between the old and new. Uh, there is a guy named Marcion in the second century, uh, a guy named Marcion, there he is, who was a second century heretic because he said the Old Testament, no good. In fact, we're going to cut the whole Old Testament out. And then we will also cut out verses in the New Testament that are quoting the Old Testament. And so we're just going to have a New Testament Bible because the old is, it's, it's passe. And some of his followers took it even a step further and reinterpreted some of the New Testament to make sure you, you saw that point. Uh, this is from one of, his, one of the Marcion followers. They took Matthew 5.17 and they rephrased it to say, I have come not to fulfill the law and prophets, but to abolish them. Whew, that's wild. That's, that's some brash and brave stuff to, to just completely reinterpret Jesus' words and do the opposite of them. And so that, that's one response to seeing what seems to be like a, a, a difference between the Old and New Testament is to just say, you know what, I don't like the Old Testament, I'm going to cut it out or I'm going to reinterpret it in all these different ways. Uh, and that's, that's one way to do it. Um, but the problem with that is that Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not come to abolish the law. And it's not that he just is saying this like with an intellectual assent to say like, yes, I believe the Old Testament. Like Jesus lived the law. Jesus loved the law so much that in his most uh, darkest times, when, when his enemies come at him, he's constantly quoting the scriptures. I mean, think of when Satan comes to him in the, in the wilderness, tempts him, the first thing Jesus does is he quotes scriptures to him. When the religious leaders come at Jesus, what is the first thing he says? He says, it is written. He's quoting the scriptures. And all the way to Calvary, all the way to the cross, wherever Jesus is going, he is constantly quoting scriptures. And he says, even, even the cross itself is something that is, is a prophecy to be fulfilled. The time has now come. And he's constantly quoting these things so that it's almost as if, if you cut Jesus, he bleeds the Old Testament. So Jesus has an insanely high view of the Old Testament. Do you? Do we? Do we see the Old Testament as that important? I mean, it goes all the way to this time when he goes to the cross. When he's at the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22. That's not just a, a phrase that he came up with. That is quoting Psalm 22. I mean, who you are in these crisis moments is who you truly are. When, when life is hard, so what bubbles out is who you truly are. And when he was on the cross in the, the, the hardest moment in his life, arguably, he quotes scripture. And so Jesus has an insanely high view of the Bible. And you might be like, yeah, but like, I can't believe in a God that would say this, this, and this. And, and, I, and I, I'm with you. I'm, so there's some hard things that the Bible says. But I want you to go down that path. If you go down the path of saying, I can't believe in a God who says this, this, and this. I'm going to cut those out like, like Marcion. At what point are you able to let that 
the God of the world challenge you? Because at some point, it's going to continue to challenge you, and you might continue to say, well, I'm cutting that part out of the Bible itself. And so I think we, what we want to see is that Jesus had such a high view of the law, we want to follow in that suit and have such a high view of the law. He, he, we are not putting ourselves in a position to judge the law. We want to put ourselves in a position to have it, it direct us, inform us, okay? And so this is the first point, that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. But if that's all we say, if all we say is that the Old Testament is true, then we are just Pharisees. Because the Pharisees said the Old Testament is true. And so that's where I think the second point comes in, is that we need the key to unlock the entire Bible. And the key to unlock the entire Bible comes in this one little word. One little word, fulfill. It's in the rest of Matthew 5, 17. He says, I've not come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what does it mean to fulfill? What does it mean that God, Jesus says, I'm coming to fulfill the law. Now, you might say, well, okay, there was a lot of prophecies, predictions about who Jesus is that he fulfills. And yes, there was hundreds of prophecies given hundreds of years earlier that Jesus does fulfill. Absolutely. But I don't think that's doing justice to the heart of what Jesus is trying to say here when he's saying, I'm coming to fulfill the law. I've not come to abolish, but I'm coming to fulfill. Well, in Jewish rabbinic literature, what it meant to fulfill the law, what it meant then was to interpret it correctly it was to see the law and to say to say here's what this means it's to interpret it correctly and if you interpret it incorrectly then you abolished the law you abolished it in that way and so as to apply it to its fullest intent um, you guys do this all the time um, probably if you have if you're a parent or whatnot uh, or maybe you are guilty of doing this yourself if you're a parent and you say hey kids it's, it's time for bed and your kids go to their room and then they stay up for three hours playing Pokemon or Lego uh, or, or whatnot, they could technically say, we t we're doing what you said. It's, you said bedtime, and I'm spending time in my bedroom, and so technically we are following the law. And you could say, no, you are abolishing the law right now. <laughs> right? Um, it's, it's interpreting things incorrectly. Um, this happens all the time as well. If you say, like, hey, don't hit your sister. Like, and the child might say, I didn't hit her. I, I pushed her. You're like, hmm. Okay, do not hit your sister. Do not push your sister. Do not, do not tap your sister. Do not otherwise maim your sister. Like, just don't touch your sister. And so we see this happen all the time. And then the, the kid goes, can I laugh if my sister gets hurt? <laughs> you're like, you're missing the point. <laughs> you're missing the point. And so what we could do is we could come up with uh, hundreds of laws to make sure that our, pe our people, our kids, or whoever understand what we're trying to get. And in a sense, the Old Testament does this. There isn't just 10 commandments in the Old Testament. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Yes, there's the 10, the majors, but there's 613 commandments in, in the Old Testament. And that's one way of doing it. And, but even, even those laws don't give us the fullest intent of the commandment. They're not enough to explain it. You have to add more laws to get the fullest intent. And so you could just continue to add more laws to be as particular and explicit as possible. Or you go the other direction 
the way Jesus does in Matthew 22. And he says, let me sum up the law for you. Let me give you the fullest intent of it. In Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, hang on these two commandments. And so all 613 laws are hanging on these two commandments, meaning they are fulfilled in these two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. And so really, the, the, all the commandments uh, to Israel as a nation civically are just an application of loving your neighbor. And all, all the commandments about how, how to, the sacrificial system is a commandment of, of ways to love God. Like they, they, they can all be summarized uh, and they hang on those two commandments. Um, and so I think we need to be able to see that. Your rebuttal, if we were having a conversation here, uh, your rebuttal at this point is, yeah, but aren't there some Old Testament laws that we don't follow anymore? And I'm thinking of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of those right now. You, you would be right. There are certain laws that we don't follow anymore. You can think of like the kosher laws. Anyone here like to eat pork? Yeah. Bacon? Can't eat that if you're following the Old Testament law. You can't eat, you can't eat pulled pork. You can't eat ham sandwiches. No. Um, that's out. Or if you were to say like, I, fish is okay. You know, tuna is okay. Crab? Mmm. Sorry, that's out. That's one of the Old Testament laws. Lobster? But lobster dipped in an enormous amount of butter is okay. That's, that's definitely in Scripture. Uh, <laughs> no, no. All of these things are out. And then you go, what do we do with that? What about the Sabbath? Well, you're like, well, we, all, we honor the Sabbath. We, we, this is Sunday. We're resting. We're worshiping. But the Sabbath was supposed to be on Saturday. And we're, now we're doing it on Sunday. Are we breaking the Sabbath? Well, I don't. <laughs> There's so many questions I have now. There are certain laws in the Old Testament that don't continue. What do we do with that? And this is where the pink elephant comes back. And you go, you said to not, you were not going to abolish it, but it seems like there are certain things that we're not supposed to continue doing. Uh, and so in some ways, the laws do go away. Um, you can think of Jesus speaking to Peter in the book of Acts. Jesus says, get up, Peter. This is risen, Lord Jesus. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Whew. That had to have been confusing to Peter. His whole life, I was told not to eat pork. I was told that it would make me unclean and impure to do so and now you are saying go for it and even you're reprimanding me for it saying don't call it unclean i made it clean and i'm guessing peter would have responded in such a way of like oh because you, you just said it was unclean just like a, a while ago uh, <laughs> it's fine it's fine yeah like how do you interpret the scriptures it gets really to be really difficult in this way if you're going is everything up for grabs well we have to remember the first part I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And so what does it mean? Jesus' arrival does change how we view Scripture. It changes everything. He came, comes to fulfill it. It doesn't mean that he's come to nullify it. Not that he, he's nullifying the Old Testament. You, he's just trying to say, you cannot read Scripture the same when I've come. 
because I'm giving you the Jesus key. This is the key that is going to give you access to all of the Bible. It's, it's, the, it's the difference between watching security footage and watching um, someone, someone commentate on what happens on that security footage. If you're watching security footage and you see a woman running through a store, grabbing everything in the store and sprinting out, you're like, oh, she just robbed that place. Well, good for her. Uh, right? That, that's what you would see. Now, if you listen to the commentator of the security footage, and you realize there's this commentary, and they're like, ready, set, go. She has 60 seconds to get all of the groceries she can in this, in this time. Let's see what she grabs, right? Now it changes it. You're like, oh, it went from someone robbing the place to now it's a, um, a shopping spree. It's the difference there. The New Testament gives us a little bit fuller picture. It's the difference between watching a basketball game with the sound off and watching a, a documentary like the, the Last Dance. I've given us an understanding and the backstory of what all that's going on on, on on these basketball teams. And so there's something fuller there. It's a, another, another analogy that might be helpful. Is anyone here like to go bowling? Anyone go bowling? Did anyone start out with the bumpers? How many of y'all started with the bumpers? Yeah? How many of y'all still use the bumpers? Yeah. Some, some didn't start, but still. <laughs> some were like, I'm proud of those bumpers. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Bumpers are helpful. They, they keep you from going into the gutter. Right. Some of y'all like to aim at the bumpers, and so it just goes back and forth. And that proves my point, that the bumpers, while helpful from keeping you to go in the gutter, they don't actually make you a better bowler. Correct? They don't actually make you a better bowler. I think likewise, the Old Testament laws are like bumpers to keep us in the lane. They don't help you embody the truth behind those laws. You know, so yes, do not kill, do not commit adultery. We're big fans of those laws. Please do not kill. Um, but if all you did was to say, I didn't kill anyone today, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll take my, I'll take my award uh, for that. Like that's, that's not all God is calling us to. Because if you're saying, I didn't kill anyone, but my heart is, being, is brimming with rage and hatred and animosity towards someone, then I'm, I'm missing it. And so we need a reformation of our hearts to love those that we hate, to lay our lives down for those that we would rather disregard. And the only way to do that is to push us to what Jesus has done here on this earth. It's to give us this gospel-centered way of reading the scriptures that have seen it in its entirety. And this is why one of our values here as a church is to be gospel-centered, is to point us to Jesus in all of things, to, to, to look at all of scripture in light of Jesus. And this isn't just something we said, hey, Let's be distinguishable and make that our, our value. No, we think this is what Scripture tells us to do. Luke 24, 27, this is a verse I highly recommend you ear, you know, dog ear or underline or uh, memorize. Luke 24, 27, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, again, this is the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. And so what Jesus is saying is, all of these scriptures, they're actually about me. This is the world's greatest Bible study happening right now. All of these scriptures are pointing to me. They're all concerning himself. And so Jesus is this key that is going to unlock the scriptures for you in a brand new way. I mean, yes, there are certain bumpers that are, on, that are from the Old Testament that, that are no longer useful. That are no longer useful, like the sacrificial laws. We don't sacrifice daily coming to the Lord because Jesus is our temple. And so, yeah, those aren't as, as useful anymore. But they pointed to something useful. 
The dietary laws that we don't necessarily follow anymore, they distinguished Israel from other nations because they were one nation, and we are many nations. We are part of the Rosetta Stone Kingdom, right? This is a multinational nation, not just one, but all of us coming together to worship the Lord Jesus. This is what we've been invited into, so we don't follow those, those dietary laws either. And so the question, though, at some point that you're going to be asking is, yeah, but which laws do I disregard and which laws do I continue with? And that's just, that's the question that I think we are all burning with. And let me just offer this answer for you. I'm trying to think what to say there. Let me just offer this for you. If Jesus is the key to unlocking the, all of Scripture, let's use the Jesus key to, to make sense of this all. And if Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, I have not come to abolish it, then I think we should take all the things and assume they're continuing on unless Jesus tells us otherwise, like he told Peter, otherwise. And let's let Scripture interpret Scripture to make sense of it all. And so, no, we're not going to take a vote on which laws do you want to give up today, church? Which laws do we want to say we don't want to obey anymore? No, we want to put everything under the light of Jesus and ask, is this... Does this sound like the Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount or not? Is this, this feels like this is mean and oppressive or this whatever it means. What does Jesus say about this? How does he tell us to love our enemies? Okay? All right, we want to be clear on that. Now, when you do this, when you use the Jesus key here, you're going to unlock the scriptures in a way that you've never, you may not have ever done before. I remember for the first time uh, that I saw that the scriptures, the Old Testament, actually were wedding, wedded through that, were, were pointing me to Christ, it made the scriptures come alive. To where before I was like, I don't want to read the Old Testament. It seems so boring. I, don't have, I have no care about what these, these stories and histories are. But now when I see that it's pointing to Christ, I see that, that there is, a, there is a, all of these things concerning himself, it, it makes it come alive. It makes me want to read it. It is, it is the, the, the most beautiful prequel to the main course right here. And it makes it all make sense. And the Old Testament is like, is, is the shadow of, of the reality. It's not something altogether different, but it's the shadow of the reality. It's, it's the, the trellis that the, the whole house is being built around. It's, it's the, the bones that you put the body on. And so you want to you learn about these things. It makes it all even sweeter when we learn it. And so when we see this, we realize this is like the key that gives us access to our Nerf guns. It's the key that's going to give us access to understanding Scripture in a much beautiful way of realizing we actually have a very loving, heartfelt, compassionate God in the Old Testament as well as the New. If they're not in, 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 in tension with one another, but it's one story of a God coming to redeem and save his people and fighting sin, death, and Hades itself. This is, this is what we get excited about. And when we do this, when we, when we use the Jesus key, it's going to help us avoid two extremes. And so if you think of that, that bowling alley again, two extremes that you might have when you view the scriptures is one, you, you, you disregard the Old Testament. And we've said, no, that's not cool. We're not going to do that. Jesus is saying, I'm not coming to abolish it. Another ditch or another gutter you might find yourself in is that you're going to follow the, the Old Testament or the New Testament, all of it, apart from Jesus himself. And so you can just say, I'm just going to follow this, and I'm going to follow it irregardless of Jesus, which seems to be difficult. But what I want us to see here is that there is a way to read scripture that is bad for you. Did you know that? That there is a way to read scriptures 
that is going to be bad for you. It's going to make you worse. It's going to give you a distorted view of God. Um, John 5, 39, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, and he says this. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. You see that passion there? Jesus is saying, you study the scriptures and you think in them you have eternal life, but they're talking about me. You, the scriptures are pointing you to me and you're, you're ignoring me. I'm in your presence and you're ignoring me. You're, you're, you're memorizing the Bible verses and, have, and, and, and then ignoring time to actually commune and talk with Jesus. This, this is, the, this is the, a, a difficult misreading of Scripture to say, I'm just going to memorize all these verses, and I'm going to be able to beat you down with all the verses that I've got memorized, and I'm going to take the Bible and use it like a sword to just bludgeon you versus a scalpel to, to cut us open, to, to heal as a surgeon might. There's a wrong way of reading the Scriptures and if you do it in this way, you might hurt someone. And some of y'all might have been hurt by the way someone has misused and abused the scripture. Because if you don't point it to Jesus, you can make the scriptures say whatever you want it to say. There's a, a pastor, theologian, a guy named Brian Zond who says this. He says, if you want a violent, retributive God, the Bible will give that to you. If you want capital punishment, the Bible will give that to you. If you want to hate your enemies, the Bible will give that to you. If you want divine warrant for every opinion, the Bible will give that to you. If you want to be a smug, self-righteous know-it-all, if you want assurance that only people like you are going to heaven, the Bible will give that to you. Mm. And what he's saying here is that if we don't point people to Jesus, we can take any Bible verse and we can make it do whatever we want it to do. How many of y'all have heard somebody like, well, the Bible says this, and you're like, oh, it's hard to go against that. Like, if you wanted to, you can make the Bible argue every point that you already currently believe. You can make the Bible roll over and play dead. You can make the Bible sit and beg. You can make the Bible dance and do a jig for you, because you can use the Bible in a way to abuse it and to abuse the people around us. And we do that when we completely disregard what the, the scriptures are constantly doing is pointing us to Jesus himself. And so when we do that, not only are we hurting people around us and we need to repent of this, but we're also missing out and we're forfeiting the opportunity of meeting the one behind the scriptures. The scriptures are not just given just to make us do, certain, do this and not do this. The scriptures are given to help us have a relationship with God. It's to be able to meet the author behind the scriptures. And we, we, when we cut out parts of the Bible, when we, when we try to just go around it, we disregard parts, or we say, I'm going to interpret it without Jesus in lens, then we are forfeiting that opportunity to actually meet with the creator of heaven and earth, who for some reason loves me. And well, so what? Let me give you some so what's. What, what do you do with this this week? First, do you hold the scripture as high as Christ does? If not, why? Do you hold the scripture as high as Jesus does? Um, and a good test of that is, can God challenge you? Are there parts of scripture that feel like, I don't know what to do with? That's okay. I think that's good. Let God challenge you. 
And there might be ways to understand, you might be misunderstanding it, but to be willing to put ourselves not in a judge over, but a student under the scriptures is a great way to start and say, let it challenge me. But not just to challenge me, I want to be able to see the scriptures as vital to life, as vital as Jesus saw them. Because if I disregard those things, if I disregard the scripture, then I'm disregarding what was vital for Jesus in sustaining him throughout his life. And so do I see scripture as, as important as he does? Secondly, are there ways that I've used and misused the Bible? I would say let's confess that. Let's confess this and repent to those we've hurt. Because that, that is a painful type of uh, abuse, spiritual abuse. And then thirdly, let's unlock the scriptures and read it all in light of Jesus. And you will watch the scriptures come to life. You'll actually see it and you want to read it. Um, but let me, let me just give you some real quick practicals on that. Sometimes jumping in cold turkey can be tough. You're like, where do I start? I, I encourage you to start Matthew, since we're in the book now, Matthew or Mark. Those are great places to start. I encourage you, because that we know that scripture is difficult, you might have to read the same passage a couple times. And then you might have to Google, what does this mean? Like, scripture is difficult. But then because of that, I would say, read it in community. Find one or two or three people and say, hey, you want to go through this with me? Let's do this together. Because when we read it in community, we can actually speak and understand these things in, in a better way, in a fuller light. But then lastly, the point is not just to read the Bible, to make ourselves feel good. The point is what Jesus is saying is you're, we want to get to Jesus. If, if people read the scriptures and think that in them they have eternal life, but we're missing who the scriptures are pointing to, then we're missing it. And so let's read the scriptures and point us to humbly sit under the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what are you doing in my life? What are you speaking to me? And just actually take time to talk with God. That's the goal of it. All right, I'm over time. Let me pray for us.